Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to Higher Ground with Julian King. Yeah, hello everyone. Julian King with you on Higher Ground this Wednesday evening, just gone 10 p.m. on the east coast of Australia. Now, for those that are still awake, maybe you're heading to work, maybe you're coming home from work. I don't know. It doesn't matter which way you're going. Regardless, it's great to have your company. SEN 1170 in Sydney, 1620 on the Goldie and via the SEN app. Let's keep each other company for the next couple of hours. Multi's here to entertain us as well. Now, my open line number, if you want to have a chat, 1300 01170. 1300 01170. And the text line, the all important text line, 0457 736 736. 0457 736 736. Simon McLaughlin, he's the deputy editor of the Daily and Sunday Telegraph. He's going to join me shortly to have a look at the back pages of tomorrow's telly. And Alex, the panel op, is going to put me under the blowtorch as well with another stirring bout of agree <laughs> to disagree. Now, look, this is a story that has grabbed a fair bit of attention. It doesn't go down well with the rugby league purists from New South Wales. And Michael Chamis from the Nine Papers has been all over this story. ARL Commission Chairman Peter Volandis says the NRL is giving strong consideration to a, wait for it, Super Bowl-style rotational grand final venue, which could inject an estimated $200 million into the sport over the next decade. Do you like this? Highest bidder go around the country. I'm warm to it, I've got to say. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Now, we understand the NRL uh, this week is going to put forward a proposal to the New South Wales government that keeps with the tradition of the grand final being played in Sydney. But... But but it allows the flexibility of taking a certain number of deciders on the road each decade. So it, it, we're going to take a wait-and-see approach at the moment. Let's see what happens after the meeting with Dominic Perrottet. And the Herald were all over this on Tuesday. So Peter Volandi's called for an urgent meeting with the New South Wales Premier, and that'll happen on Friday to discuss the future of the NRL Grand Final. So nothing's a done deal. And ultimately, it will be a decision for the ARL Commission. But PVL's bang on the money, he says, well, we have to remember it's, it's the National Rugby League for a reason. He says supporters will travel. Panthers and Rabbitohs fans didn't get the chance to go to Brisbane last year, but they would if they could have. And fandom goes beyond the old geographical boundaries from the start of the National Rugby League, or the New South Wales Rugby League, I should say. I'll give you an example. I'm a Dragons fan. Huge presence in Brisbane. Huge. And he goes on to say, PVL, the reality is the grand final will still have a place in Sydney. It won't go every year. But just this idea of taking it on the road is something what they're considering. If we opened it up, we'd have interest from every state. I think he's right. Melbourne love to put their hand up for that sort of thing. Queensland, we know. Maybe Perth. So the NRL is considering this, this hybrid model, hybrid model which locks in grand finals in the two heartland cities, Sydney and Brisbane, for X number of grand finals over the next 10 years, for example. And we know Queensland, they're willing to 
reach into the hip pocket, pull out 10 mil and pay that for the grand final. 52,000, that, that's the capacity of Suncorp Stadium. And you know the NRL will profit from the ticket sales and the merchandise and, and all sorts of corporate events. But the remaining games, though, outside of Sydney and Brisbane, the remaining games will be put up for auction, not excluding Sydney and Brisbane, by the way, but flogged off to the highest bidder. This makes sense. This makes sense. So what that does, that opens the door for a grand final to be played either maybe at Optus Stadium in Perth, 65,000 capacity, Eden Park, Auckland. You could probably stretch that to 60,000 if they build it the right way. Adelaide Oval, over 50. Melbourne, we know that. If you had Origin there, 100,000. How far and wide do you go? Could you go to Wembley, for example? That, look, I draw the line. It's got to be in Australia. But he's a big thinker, Peter Volandis, and if there's a buck to be made for the game, he'll look into it, rest assured. But maybe, look, if the NRL was willing to follow the NFL's path, maybe they could introduce like a two-week build-up to the final match of the season. And he likes this NFL model, Volandis. That's the one that sees the Super Bowl played. That'll be in Arizona 2023, Vegas 2024, New Orleans 2025. That'll add to the hyper grand final week. States, as we know, so they'll get to bid on it. And Volandi says what people have to understand is that there are only two major national events in Australia with local content, the NRL and AFL grand finals. And he's right, Peter, when he says they add enormous value to a state's economy. They're not handouts. It stimulates significant amounts of money for the local economy. So if Brisbane or Adelaide, Melbourne, Perth or Auckland host it, well then New South Wales fans, if you're a diehard fan or a member, you'll get to travel. Fork out some cash. And you make an event out of it. Why not take the show on the road? Why not? It's a premier event. You know you've got a good thing. You back your game, you show off your game. And I like the vision here from Volandis. We'll wait and see what the outcome is after this meeting with New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet on Friday, how flexible will he be? Will they fork out more money to keep it in Sydney? And the Commission will ultimately have to make that decision. 0457 736 736. Certainly, we know Queenslanders are delighted to hear this news. I mean, they've been shouting for years, oh, well, Brisbane deserves one. And they're not without a case. Why, why shouldn't they host a grand final? And, oh, look, I'm not talking about last year. Because that was COVID determined. But if there was a grand final between the, say, for example, the Broncos and the Titans, and yes, I know it's locked in before we know who the grand finalists are, but you feel like those sorts of matchups should be in Brisbane, despite the reduced capacity. You may have a thought on that tonight, 0457 736 736. Still on league, um, Tarek Sims is not going to be granted an immediate release, by the way, to join the Melbourne Storm. There's a bit of chatter around this morning about when. He might leave the Dragons and go to the Storm. But Storm officials told the Dragons, no, they're not planning. They're not planning to have Tarek on their books in 2022. He was at a press conference today at Tarek Sims. He said, look, the clubs are talking about a potential mid-season switch. The nine papers were told by sources familiar with the situation that the Storm quickly phoned St. George Illawarra's top brass to douse the prospect. So he has signed that one-year deal, Tarek, to join the Storm next year after the Dragons opted not to offer him a contract beyond that season. And you think about adding Sims to Melbourne, you know, does that boost their title prospects? Oh, maybe, maybe not. 
But he was asked about the chance, Eric Sims, of an early release. He says, I think the clubs are talking, but you'd have to ask them. I never wanted to leave here in the first place. It's rugby league. It's a business. You have to take it week by week. Nice cliches. And no big surprise, he's focused on playing good, consistent, hard football. I'm a firm believer in controlling what you can control. But no, the storm have knocked it on the head. He's not likely to be there this year. And by the way, you may have seen the team list. He's been elevated to the starting side for this clash between the Dragons and the Tigers. That game in Wollongong on Sunday. Uh, Jaden Silver obviously facing that extended stint on the sidelines with that ankle injury sustained in the Anzac Day clash. Well, look, any chance Sims would leave early has surely gone out the window. We know that now with that injury to Sewer. Because if you're the Dragons, you go, well, maybe now that you're losing Jaden Sewer for a month and a half, well, no, we, we need you. We need an edge back rower. 0457 736 736. Look, I went to the Sydney Kings game on Sunday. In terms of fan day experiences, go, it is second to none. It's brilliant. I took my young fella there. Got there a bit too late, though, for the celebrity game. A bit too late. But Steve Carfino has had this crack at Nick Kyrgios. And I read this and I was stunned. Really? It was a charity game of basketball to raise money for the Starlight Foundation. They raised 50 grand. And he's had a crack at Nick Kyrgios for, for being selfish, for being a bit of a, a prima donna. Let's just have a listen to what Steve Carfino said. I'm going to go on the record right here. Man, put the camera on me. Oh, where is it at? What a jerk. Oh, my goodness. Man, what lack of sportsmanship. He's blocking girls' shots. He's not passing to his teammates. This is a celebrity game. You no. serious? No, I just thought it wasn't, you know, it was unsportsmanlike. You know, like I yeah. think it wasn't the right moment to show how dominant you can be against um, Australia's uh, contestant for Miss World. Now, a bit of context here. So Steve Carfina was coaching the opposition team, as I said, for this charity match on Sunday. It raised money for the Starlight Foundation. But you heard there he was sort of disappointed. He sounded tongue-in-cheek at first, but he said, no, he was serious. Mystified at the disrespect that he showed, not just for Miss Universe. There he mentioned uh, Maria Thattle, I think is how you pronounce her name, who apparently called Curious a jerk, but also mentioned how he, he was disrespectful towards Premier Dominic Perrottet. He says, I'm a positive guy. This is a celebrity game. That's the premier. Have some respect. Came out there to show his worth. And like he said, I'm going to go on the record right here. And he even said, put the camera on me and call Kyrgios a jerk. Kyrgios has hit back. This is what he said. He took to social media, did Nick. Lack of respect, you potato. Under his term, potato. I say he's probably more a, was he a Pontiac? What are the other ones? Sebago's? You potato, have a look at my foundation and look me in my eyes and tell me what lack of respect there is for that, Kyrgios wrote. Maybe if you showed less sportsmanship, your NBA career would have lasted longer. Laugh emoji. So there you go. This is just blown up. Uh, Thaddele, Miss Australia, uh, defended Kyrgios, saying it was just a case of sportsman being competitive. She said, oh, I'm not too fussed with the fact Kyrgios blocked my shot. I'm going to take it. As he saw me as a threat, Nick's a sportsman. I think he was, it was clear he wanted to do well. For a lot of us who don't possess the same sporting prowess, we didn't take it as seriously. His version of giving it his best is different to our version. Nick was engaging with the kids, which is true. 
We all did our best to raise a ton of money for the cause. End of story. So Paul Smith, who's the CEO of the Sydney Kings, said, look, he tweeted earlier today, Steve Carfino's a legend, but he's wrong on this. He's wrong on this. Shane Heal, who was coaching the opposition team, said that Nick was a delight to work with. And in a certain way told Steve Carfino to pull his head in. Are we really making an issue of this? I know Nick comes, he can look a bit surly sometimes, but I mean, this may be... This may be the first time anybody has ever suggested that Kyrgios has tried too hard. Like, so what is competitive? Wow, it's a professional sportsman. <laughs> Hardly the worst crime in the world. Hardly. Did Starlight earn some money? Yes, 50 grand, end of story. And I'll tell you another thing. If I'm the Premier Dominic Perrottet, I don't want Nick to do me any favours. And I read... This week that Nick is apparently in the market for a house in Sydney, so he wants to get out of Canberra. He's been stiffing around some of the prime rolled gold real estate over in Sydney's eastern suburbs. Well, no doubt the Premier, no doubt the Premier is more than happy to bank that enormous chunk of stamp duty on the property that Nick Kyrgios ultimately buys. Enough said. 0457... 736-736 is the text line number. Hey, while we're on basketball, we had the NBL MVPs tonight. You know, it's the first live game I've seen for the good part of about 20 years. 20 years. And it's been too long. I said the last time I saw the Kings, Dean Utoff was playing and wore the Reebok pumps. It was a long, long time ago, before Mulchy was worn, probably. And I was doing breakfast here um, over summer one morning with Joe Healy, you know, who's, who's the queen of basketball in this country. She goes, no, we've got to sort that out and she basically, her and Julian O'Brien from the Kings, thank you, had dragged me back. It was a great day. And now after one game, I'm a pro. Jalen Adams didn't even play. And I said, you know, he'll be the MVP, this bloke. And guess what? He has been named tonight. Thank you, the MVP. So Bryce Cotton, who's basically been the greatest, arguably the greatest NBL player ever. Well, he's been for a third straight NBL MVP. He's fallen short. And it was Jalen Adams that beat him for the illustrious award. So 105 votes to Jalen Adams, edged out. The Perth Wildcats scoring machine, Bryce Cotton. And Melbourne's Joe Luol Akul Jr. Did I pronounce that right, Bolchi? Yeah, let's just go with that. Uh, after an injury riddle start of the season, Adams exploded onto the scene. Key role in the Kings' 13-match winning run. He's 25, average 20.1 points, 6.1 assists, 5.1 rebounds for the season. Uh, he has been great. He's been great all year. And, and clutch plays too. Clutch plays is what you want. Bryce Cotton... Still great. Averaged a league-high 22.68 points per game this season. But as you know, the Wildcats narrowly missed out in a spot in the playoffs the first time in 35 years. You know, any discussion of great sporting streaks, that has to figure in the conversation. 35 years, consecutive years, you made playoffs. And it had nothing to do, there's absolutely, it's purely coincidence and nothing to do with the fact that the year they missed out is the year that they get bought by this wonderful network, Sports Entertainment <laughs> Didn't Hutchie apologise? Sorry. Sorry, folks. Not my fault. Uh, Scott Roth, by the way, he won the Lindsay Gaze Trophy for Coach of the Year after guiding the Jack Jumpers into the playoffs in their first season. I don't think anybody can argue with that. It's the last game of the year, and they just got over the line. They defeated every team at least once this season, the Jack Jumpers. Doesn't change the fact that the name still sucks. And that, by the way, is a feat never achieved by a club in their first campaign. 
So the MVP finalists who were joined in the All-NBL first team by Perth's Vic Law and Illawarra's Antonius Cleveland. So well done to all those involved tonight, the recipients or award winners at the NBL MVPs. 0457 736 736 is the text line number. We'll take our first break. On the other side of that, I'll check in with my friend Simon McLaughlin. He is the Deputy Sports Editor of the Daily and Sunday Telegraph. We'll have a look at what's coming up in the papers in the telly tomorrow. Hi, good day, Jules. How are you doing? Going very well. You know, it's, it's really funny. Uh, I was having coffee at the local this morning, and, and the guy that runs the coffee shop is uh, a mad, mad Sharks fan. And mm. he's saying, you know, how well is Nico Hines going? All these touches. And Moylan, people were sort of talking about pushing Matty Moylan out the door at Cronulla. It's a new lease of life. And then another guy who knows him said, oh, mate, but, you know, what? Imagine if they had Reynolds there as well. Or Reynolds and Moylan Indeed. and Reynolds and Hines, they're talking about that. And they're, they're a bit of a sliding doors moment between the two of them, Nico Hines and Adam Reynolds, where the two teams meet this weekend. Yeah, look, that, that's right. Exactly. Our headline is sliding doors. As, uh, we have a picture of Nico Hines in a Broncos jersey. And Adam Reynolds in a Sharks jersey because it actually could have happened that way um, if things had been a little bit different. Yeah, that's right. So they play against each other this round. And um, it, that's right. So Adam Reynolds was a hot target for Craig Fitzgibbon at the Sharks um, when he came on board, um, but chose to go with the Broncos, saying it was, um, you know, the challenge of sort of end, ending the Broncos' premiership drought, but the, the longer contract and the... Um, fat contract helped as well. Um, it turns out that Hines had, um, was probably pretty close to signing with the Broncos as well. They were interested in him as a five-eight uh, or a fullback. That they couldn't match the money that um, Cronulla was able to give him to play halfback. So um, yeah, it, it actually could have been the other way around. That that um, if. Um, Adam Reynolds has decided to stay in Sydney with the Sharks. He would have been in a in a um, it, the Sharks might not have been able to afford Nico Hines. So yeah, sliding doors moment could have seen him the other way around. But look, if you're a Sharks fan, I think you're pretty happy with the way things have ended up. Huh. Um, Nico Hines is probably the buy of the year so far um, for the Cronulla, and doesn't seem like Reynolds is really sort of able to turn things around like Broncos fans had, had hoped up there. I thought his second half against the Dogs was pretty good, though. Reynolds, to be fair, he was, he was excellent. Well, look, uh, Jules, I thought we were going to talk about the Dogs tonight. <laughs> so that was the message I got, no, got look, through earlier. Sorry, I shouldn't have made His second half on, uh, <laughs> what was it, Friday night? It was very good. Let's forget about the opposition. Yeah, it's funny, though, isn't it? I mean, rugby league or sport in general is littered with these what-if moments, you know. What if he'd gone to this club instead of this club? You know, I can go back to the 80s. So what if Mark Eller did decide to join the Dragons? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. He probably well. I can tell you, I had dinner with Mark Eller once, and he said that that the money was right, but he was terrified about having to play against someone like Wally Lewis. So he decided uh, he better not come didn't, out of retirement. Didn't, didn't Mark Eller say that he spoke to Wally, and I thought he said Wally was the one that probably Correct. talked him out of it. Is that right? He, he, uh, that's you know yeah, that was probably right. your story, Simon, that I've read, and I thought, where did I read that? Where did I... <laughs> it was a wonderful piece. That's that I can remember right. They were obviously. <laughs> They were obviously schoolboy uh, teammates in the um, schoolboys team, so uh, yeah. they actually knew each other well. And Mark Ellen knew how tough all his little sort as a player. Yeah, you know it's interesting. Uh, Nico Hines. It was always questionable. Nobody doubted his talent, but he never really played. He never played at halfback for the Storm. They saw him as his great fourteen, but he said, "Look, I grew up playing in the halves. I want to touch the ball more." Mm. And they've 
they've built a game plan around him and he's had so many touches um, for a halfback in this competition and he's going from strength to strength. And, and I wish him well. I wish him well. And the thing is, I mean, it's an embarrassment of Richards for New South Wales coach Brad Fittler at the moment in terms of who he uses on his bench because he's just flooded with high-quality, versatile footballers. Now, obviously, Latrell Mitchell is out. He was playing left centre last year. Tom Trebojevic was playing right centre. So the question now for Fittler is this. Do you pick a left centre? Or, Turbo being that good, he could play anywhere. You could shift him to the left and you pick a right centre like a Tony Staggs. But presuming you keep Turbo on the right, in terms of form, yep. you think of that game between the Sharks and the Eagles and everyone's saying what Talakai did in that first 40 was the best 40 minutes I've seen from a centre in arguably a decade. Yeah, it was incredible. Look, our feature in the rugby in the league central list out tomorrow is all about Talakai and, as you say, based off that first half last week. But it's based on the idea that Every coach now is going to is manly looking around at their roster for their back rowers to try and turn them into a centre, just as Craig Gibbon did. Is Talakai the prototype for the modern centre, or is he just a one-off? This is a question we're asking. Now he is five foot ten, which is a hundred kilos. He's complete opposite of a say a Joey Manu who kind of looks more like, um, you know, the Ferrari physique rather yeah, than yeah. The, the, the battle tank, the wrecking ball. So, um, but look, the thing people don't realise is I think they think that Talakai is just a manufactured centre, but in fact, he's played centre almost his entire life. Uh, um, the, it's a great story from Paul Crawley. It goes right back to his junior playing days uh, where he played for the mascot Jets in a team where he played centre. And he played in a team that didn't lose a single game for 13 years. They won every grand final. They won every regular season game. And Talakai played exactly the same way in that team as <laughs> what he's played for the Sharks. So all of his junior coaches, which quoted in this story, like we've seen all this before. We saw him do all his 13, 14, 15, 16. So, um, in fact, we were able to dig out an old um, article that the Telegraph ran in 2016 on that uh, Invincibles team. Um, coached, um, funnily enough, by former South player Darren Brown. So, mm. um, um, and it featured uh, Remus Smith was in there, yeah. um, and a few others. Uh, uh, it was about Cameron Murray even played a few games in, in for that junior team. So it was a pretty uh, quality team for uh, you know a, yeah. a part-time kid who probably didn't have much aspirations to suddenly have to play against that that mob in juniors. But um, he's he's a great story, and um, it's a re- it's it's a really good piece in the Telegraph tomorrow. It's funny though; you talk about the thirteen years of the mighty mascot Jets playing that similar role. You can just picture it, can't you? Just going back in time, it would probably resemble the carnage. Would resemble what we saw uh, at Shark Park there on Thursday night. It's just oh, very similar. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we might all have stories of playing junior footy against a kid who looked like he was older than everyone else, and. Um, and uh, that was probably Talakai. But look, this is what sport, it's not just footy, it's what sport does. Uh, when Brad Clyde came out, every coach tried to find a, an 80-minute lock who could sprint up and down, you know, did everything, scored tries, chased down, um, run away, um, fullbacks. It, it's what happens in sport, and this is just kind of the latest example of 
um, you know, trying to find unearth the next Talakai. I'm not. I'm not sure it, it, there there will be too many of them out there. Yeah, they don't fall from trees, do they? You got to credit John Morris too. He was the man. I know he's not in the Sharks frame anymore. I think is he over in South now, isn't he, Johnny Morris? But um, you know, you got to right, credit yeah. him for the one that that brought him over to Cronulla in the first place. Uh, absolutely, yeah. He he actually um, Talakai scored his debut in 2016 for South. Um, scored a try with his first touch um, in the NRL, actually, and sort of drifted away a little bit. So, um, look, I think rather than... I, I think it might have been a case of people not understanding what this guy's natural position was, um, you know, shoving him into the back row where they, they should have just kept him as a centre because he didn't look like a centre, yeah. didn't mean he was one, wasn't one. So, um, yeah, hopefully it's a lesson that, um, you know... NRL first grade coaches are talking to um, all the junior pathways guys about, you know, where did this guy play when he was 15 years old? Let's mm. keep him there. Mm. If the shoe fits, you know, I mean, we can remember back in the day, not Talakai style players, but, you know, a Chris Mortimer style player. You know, it wasn't the attacking mm. centre, but the defensive centre that would plug a hole so much so that you got picked there for origin. And it was that thinking that Absolutely. I think got Bennett to convince the New South Welsh to pick Bo Scott in the centres a number of years ago. Oh, absolutely. That's a good call, yeah. Look, I remember the other example I can think of on this sort of thing is if you remember Willie Mason when he emerged, when he had the big afro, and he, he was a wide-running back rower yeah. who no one could stop. And then they just decided that he, because he was 112 kilos and six foot five, whatever it was, well, he's got to be a prop. You know, props, that's what props weigh. Mm. So he's got to be a prop. And he was never the same, I don't yeah. think. Oh, Willie. Speaking of Canterbury legends, uh, Gus Gould. <laughs> so I've noticed he was trending a bit earlier this evening. Phil Gould, oh, uh, he's getting he... a bit more hands on there at the kennel. Wasn't he? Just... Well, it's the kind of thing I think a lot of people were waiting to happen. So, yeah, the story emerged today that um, Gus Gould has, uh, ripped, has turned up on the training paddock and ripped into the um, underperforming Bulldogs players. Uh, you know, the suggestion is that it's sort of undermined um, Trent Barrett's position as head coach. Um, yeah, the people, the, the reason we tend to get a little bit hot under the collar about this sort of stuff is because it's happened before um, where Gus Gould has been involved um, with clubs, not as a coach, but as, in, as some other position, but sort of found himself, um, you know, pointing in angrily on a, on a training field. It happened to the Roosters when Ricky Stewart was there. Um, he got pretty caught up in things with the coaches and, and scenarios at um, Penrith. So the fact that it's happened again to the team that's on the bottom of the ladder has got a lot of alarm bells ringing, but there's two ways to look at this. Uh, one is, yeah, sure, Trent Barrett looks like he's been undermined and, you know, you can't imagine that uh, you know, Gus Gould would storm onto the field um, with Bozo Fulton coached manly teams, for instance. I can't mm. imagine him doing it to Des Hasler, for instance. Mm. Um, so that's one way of looking at it. The other way is that, well, I've lost six games in a row. They're bottom of the ladder. They've made some pretty big signings in the offseason and it's not working so far. So you've got to do something. You've got to try something. And both men uh, seem pretty adamant that... Um, they're cool with what happened today. So um, I guess all we can think is the point uh, is see what happens on the weekend. But the point's kind of been made that what happens now is if the Bulldogs win, it 
you know, it's Gus Gould, yeah, yeah. But, uh, um, not Trent Barrett. So it's a tricky one. Um, well, you're a Canterbury fan. How do you feel about it? Or you're not that fast? Oh, I'm cool with it because yeah. I kind of think that's one of the reasons you get Gus Gould to your Correct. club is he's got that wealth of experience. So as long as it's okay with Trent and, and he's not um, feel, feels like he's being pushed down the pecking order, mm. then that's okay. Well, Gus, Gus is trying to explain it. He said, well... He's looking at them training. He said they were a bit sluggish, and I said to Trent they needed to liven up. And then he said, "Well, Trent threw me the whistle. I was wearing jeans. It was a bit of fun. Not sure that my yeah. 1980s approach will change the world, but it was a fun." And he said, "I'd do anything, Trent." So he said, "Trent asked me to do it." So there you go. So, but you know, Gus is a fascinating character, and he's forgotten more than most of us know about the game of rugby league. So, you know, I, you know, I'm a Dragons fan, Simon, as you know, but um, the dra- the Dragons and the Bulldogs have had a great rivalry over many, many decades. I'd love to see the dogs back. I think the game's healthier. Mm. The game's healthier with a strong Bulldogs club, honestly. And when they're oh, going, well, they're... obviously, I believe you too. It sounds like uh, uh, people talking about England in cricket, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, whoa, whoa, cricket, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's go, let's go nuts here, please. <laughs> Look, I just think that the, the the dogs were so strong in the eighties and nineties, and well, a fair portion of the 2000s, that um, it just sort of seems weird that they're not contending, I think might might be how a lot of people who are neutral on this believe. But, mm. um, yeah, they have, been, they have been such strong contenders. They made grand finals in 2012 and 14. They were consistently making finals for another five years after that, and now it seems like a long way back, but... Um, yeah, you'll be back. Yeah. Be. I mean, you've got Kick-Out and Marty <laughs> coming next year. I think you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Yeah. All right, mate. Always good to chat. Thank you so much. Everybody pick up your copy of the Daily Telegraph tomorrow, especially if you're a Sharks fan. Uh, plenty of great stuff in there. Thank you, Simon. We'll catch you next week. Okay, cheers. There he is, Simon McLaughlin, the Deputy Sports Editor of the Daily and Sunday Telegraph. So, yeah, there's a chance that Hines could have been at Brisbane. Reynolds could have been at the Sharkies. Talakai is the prototype for a new sender and uh, this old Gus Gould coaching saga, for want of a better term, there at the Ken. Look, it's probably blown up a bit out of proportion. Uh, Gus says, or Trent says, mate, give him a rev up or have a go. He said, Trent asked me to do it, I'll do it. But if you've got somebody of the knowledge of Phil Gould at your club, given the history that he's had with the club as a player and as a coach, I mean, why wouldn't you call on it? You'd be stupid not to call on it particularly given your position on the ladder. 0457 736 736. That is the text line number. Julian King on high ground. You know, we touch on the big issues here on high ground on a Wednesday night. So if you ever play golf, right, a lot of recreational golfers and weekend hackers like my good self. And if you're playing on a course that might back onto bushland or into a river and there's nobody around you, and sometimes you just want to hit a ball in anger that doesn't count towards your score and you reach into the bag and you might pull out a, you know, your crappy hot dot or a, a range ball, for example, and you just sort of face one in the other direction and just sort of, no one's here, I'm just going big on this. I am going big on this. I've done it. I've done it before. Dare I say I'll do it again. It's just good fun. It's really, really good fun. But, you know, sometimes nine holes, it's sort of, it's not quite enough when you just get your mojo, but 18, you, you're a bit time poor, you can't get to 18. I think it was Paul Gow who had the idea of dividing a course into three so you can play 6, 12, or 18. Maybe still have the option to nine, but I think there are worse ideas out there. 0457 736 736. John, good evening to you. He writes on the text line, uh, can't win, Nick. He's talking about Kyrgios. Does it to himself, but he doesn't try hard enough in the court, and then he tries and he's slammed. 
The bloke could roll out the left side of bed and he'd be told he should have rolled right, John from Gosford. It's a fair point. You know, I think everybody in Australia at some point has bagged someone Nick's antics on the court. The court. But then you think about how he rallied when it came to the bushfire victims and you know, he's he's not a bad guy, Nick. He's not a, he's his own man. And I think we're eventually gonna have to at some point be at peace with the fact that he's not that driven to win a grand slam. He's there for a good time, not a long time. And yeah, I know he's won the doubles, but talking about singles here. And it's frustrating to witness unfulfilled talent, but that's him. That's him. People say he just shows up and he, he doesn't try. That, it, to, to say he doesn't try, I mean, that, that's a great insult to a top sports person. There have been instances where it certainly looks like that. But he said, I remember Kyrgios a long time ago, he said in an interview, well, you know, I should train better. He acknowledges that. But I've beaten pretty much everyone on the tour that I've played. And he's right. He's beaten Roger. He's beaten Rafa. He's 2-0 against Novak. He's never lost against the world's best player. So he can play. So to say that he doesn't try, well, I mean, just look at the record against the the world's best players. He's got game, Nick. Whatever you think of him. Whatever you think of him. Okay, now, Mulchie, this is the first time we've worked together on higher ground. We're going to bring in the panel operator slash uh, studio producer, Alex Mulchinov, because um, he's about to be introduced to a brand-new cheek segment called Agree to Disagree. So the way this works, uh, you're just going to come Mm. up with five topics, maybe some sport, maybe something a little more frivolous. Uh, simple statements, and I agree or disagree, and we can uh, we can thrash it out as well. Fantastic! I'm very much looking for. You know what we should do is come up with a little agree to disagree song yes. or stinger or open. I'll have so. to get my production skills in action, Jules. Yeah, no, do Try that. Try and find a song and a bit do of that. A voice. Yeah, we'll, we'll workshop that. that. Okay, here we go. Agree to disagree on a Wednesday night. West Tigers mm. will make the top eight. <laughs> I disagree. Ooh, Come you're on. very quick as well. What, what? They won two in a row, albeit against. Pretty decent teams in Parramatta and South. What you got them in your eight now, do you? I'm more confident on them than a team, and this isn't a shot at you, the but a, a team like the Dragons. Do you think they'll beat the Dragons this weekend? I think they will. All right. No Dane Laurie. No Dane Laurie. Admittedly, the Dragons were out without Bird and Sewer. But, exactly. Uh, although Bird's been named. And I think Stafford Tor, when he went back there yeah. last weekend, did a serviceable job. 80 minutes is a different story. Uh, that is true. But I remember they didn't have Laurie that game against... The Sharks, which are called Everest in and that was so yeah, bad. Yeah, they lacked a bit of cut. Uh, no, they won't make the eight. I'm happy for the Tigers. I want to see them do well, but they will not make the eight. Will they finish ninth? Uh, well, they've done it before, <laughs> so they may do it again. No, they'll finish lower than ninth. Okay. We'll stay on rugby league theme and stay on some news of the day. Gus Gould taking a training session isn't a big deal. Agree. Should it even be news? Well, anything that involves Gus, depending on who's writing the stories, tends to be news. Gus is is polarising, mm. uh, but he's whip smart. And like I said to Simon, he's forgotten more about league than yeah. just about everybody else in the game would know. His answer... And, to- and if you've got somebody of the calibre and the knowledge of Phil Gould in your ranks and you have the opportunity to call on him, then why wouldn't you? Absolutely. You know. And his answer to... The Fox criticism that he got an NRL 360 tonight. Well, when they're, they're taking shots at me, it's not at someone else. Yeah. So I'm quite happy for that. Yeah. Well, that's Put what the him. good ones do. They take the heat off the players, that's right? That, that's why Bennett was so masterful. He used to show up and be really grumpy, Wayne Bennett, in press conferences. Oh, what about Wayne? Very you know, snappy and short with his answers. No one's talking about the players. So when Wayne was in Newcastle, right, 
And Graham Arnold was the coach of the Mariners. Mm. You know, Arnie was there and thereabouts, but he, he just couldn't get over the line for an A-League championship. And so he says to Wayne Bennett, mate, you know, we're the Mariners, you're at Newcastle, you can tell us how to, how to win a comp. So Wayne Bennett says, come to Newcastle, mate. Uh, buy me lunch, I'll tell you how to win a comp. And basically Bennett's advice was take the heat off your players. Mm. And there's probably parallels because sometimes Arnie can come across as a bit surly as well. But what happens? Mariners beat the Wanderers and they win the competition. Coincidence? You tell me. One of the great A-League grand final performances as well, coming off the dramatic loss mm. to Brisbane Roar in the grand final. That oh, great edge, Postacoglu team. That was the greatest A-League team in history. It was fantastic. I think Les Murray said that. Yeah, and yeah. I think he would still be right more than Good 10 years later. Final. The Mariners. Who scored it? Hutchie scored that day? No, Hutchie no goal. This, uh, Daniel McBreen scored McBreen. from the penalty spot. Yeah. Sealed the deal after Patrick Zvansvike. Zvansvike. That's He's who I meant. Fantastic fella, Patrick yeah. Zvansvike. Oh, good on him. Still in Australia as well. Um, on to more serious issues. Mm. We had some Tim Tams before coming in. Oh. Now, I'm going to push you on preferences here. White chocolate is superior to milk and dark chocolate. Hard disagree. Hard disagree. It's technically not chocolate. It is the most <laughs> overrated thing confectionery white. My son's big on it. I'm about to disown him. Dad, I prefer white chocolate. No, you don't. You know. Well, then. When we get to the bottom of the, the lint balls. job at the Milky Bar factory. We get the bottom of the lint balls. Yeah. And everyone's left the white ones. So I'll I'll take the, the milk and the dark because I enjoy them. But mm-hmm. everyone will leave the. No, no, I'm, I'm not. A, and I'm more than happy to mop I'm up. I'm absolutely not a wrap on white chocolate. I'll, you know, it's, it's right, but I'd never choose it, no. Going to a slight, slight So, you know, in the box of favourites, yeah. is, is the well, dream... Well, where is I that, was going. Oh, is that your next one, is it? Well, no, 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 it's not, but... Is I'm it the dream? The dream it. is the white, isn't it? The dream? I don't even know what it is. I just park it, mate. I, That's the Milky yeah. Way. Is it the Milky Way in that? No, Milky Way is not Oh, the dream. Chocolate. No, no, no. I think it's right, dream. It's just the white chocolate. Are you a wrap on cherry ripes? Oh, Big time. Well, let's see. I'm complete one opposite. Of the, one of the top pre-selling <laughs> chocolate bars in the country, Cherry Rice. <laughs> they are amazing. Well, there you go. Mm. Popular opinion is with you. Okay. More serious issues. Yeah. Cameron Munster should join Wayne Bennett and the Dolphins in 2024. Disagree. When You, you know what? Disagree. To, if he does it, great. But he... When you say should, well, I don't think he should. Mm. He can do what he wants to do. I think a lot of this hinges on what Bellamy's going to do. Right? Mm. So Bellamy's been non-committal about his future at Melbourne. Does he have another one, two, three, four, five years in him? And I think what Bellamy does will affect, to some degree, don't know how much, uh, what Munster will do. But, gee, pretty hard to leave. Pretty hard to leave that winning culture he got there. He's playing the best football of his career. But they've re-signed three of their four in the spine. Yep. In Grant, in Hughes, and in Pappenhausen. You know. How much does he need to take a haircut, right? That's a big question. Because all these numbers have been thrown around, a oh, $400,000 a year pay cut. The point is we don't know. We're only speculating. We don't know. And that, that number's been out in public for a good part of a month or so. Mm. So we'll wait and see. How much of a haircut he's prepared to take to stay at the Melbourne Storm if he thinks he's likely to win more premierships? I don't know. But... He's done everything in the game, Cameron Munster. He's won yep. premierships. He's won origins. He's played for his country. Maybe he wants the opportunity to return to his state of Queensland, home state of Queensland, play under the super coach and launch a, a new club. I don't know what he's thinking, but um, if I was a betting man, I think he's going to stay at Melbourne. There you go. Yeah. Okay, and final one. 
talked a little bit of NBL already tonight. Mm. Sydney Kings and the Illawarra Hawks is the biggest sporting event in the country this weekend. That's three-game series. Can I just borrow the sporting calendar? Now? What else is happening? <laughs> biggest sporting <laughs> event in the country. This weekend. Oh, look, without looking at it, look, I'd say no. I don't know. What is no. It? No, I wouldn't think so. NBL's great, but it doesn't capture the imagination. So anybody in the AFL will say, well, that's laughable. Yeah. Of course What's going to get more eyeballs, more attention, more viewers? AFL NRL every day of the week. Correct. Correct. But for something a little bit different, for rivalry, for it's something that's rivalry. been boiling around, boiling underneath the surface all season, mm. I I love that. I'm, I'm going to be stuck to all three games of that. I'm going to be here panelling NRL games on Friday night and Sunday afternoon, yeah. and I'm going to be locked in on the NBL. Jalen Adams tonight named the MVP for the National Basketball League. So well done to the Sydney Kings sharpshooter, averaging what twenty points a game. He's twenty five, Jalen Adams, and comes up with clutch plays. Really good player, really good player. Thank you, Mulchy. You happy with that? Pleasure as always. Okay, oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. The text line number. Breaking back with the ball. Second hour, final hour of the program. If you want to flick me a text or give me a call, you can. The text line number oh four five seven seven three six seven three six, and the open line number one three hundred. Zero one eleven seventy. Uh, John says quite the opposite. Jules Hutchie took all the blame uh, regarding the Perth Wildcats. Yes, that's right, John. That is absolutely right. Bondi Jack, uh, you're up nice and late, Bondi Jack. Uh, I'd appreciate your view on this. Uh, Daniel Tupo had his poorest game since 2017. This is referring to the Anzac Day game between the Roosters and the Dragons. His half didn't help. Robbo must put Kiri, who normally plays both sides, back to the left where he always dominated with BMOS and the Grub Mitchell. Uh, in the final seconds, Toops should have taken on Benny, who was already passed with his right palm. Yeah, I, it's a good point you make. It's a try he's finessed many times. Has Robbo's failure to identify the 2022 game since being totally underprepared for round one undermined Toops' confidence? Bearing in mind, Robbo has just burned the only fair part of a horror draw. You know, that's interesting, Bono Jack. I mean, I'm massive rap on Robbo. And I thought actually against the Warriors, Tupo was pretty good. There's a lot of talk about, I don't know necessarily about the numbers they wear, but and you know better than me, you've watched them closely, or more closely than I have, Bondi Jacket. Maybe the Walker-Kiri connection hasn't quite worked yet, in the sense that Walker's touching the ball when Kiri should, Kiri's touching the ball when Walker should. I, I don't know. I don't know, but you're not dropping Tupo, eh? Surely. I'm not sure if that's what you're suggesting, but poorest game since 2017. They had ample chances to win. Maybe you chalk it up to one of those days. Any other any other day, Bondi Jack, they win that game of footy. And I think you've got to give a degree of credit to the Dragons. They were resolute in defence. There were times, you're right, I thought they tried to go around them, and Robbo said that in the press conference, rather than just punching through the middle. Because they were rolling down the field. They dominated the field position. The few times they had the ball in the red zone and, and they played at Tupo's wing, I think it was him or, you know, they got, they, Dragons just waited, slid and, and bundled them into touch. If anything, I thought they probably had more punch down, save for that last play of the game, more punch down their right side and the Dragons' left side through Manu and Suwali. And I thought Suwali's second half was outstanding. Manu was great once again. But look, you're not riding off the roosters. They've got too much class. As long as Kiri stays fit, because the concern I have for the tricolours, given his history of concussion, I mean, I don't know how bad it is, Bonai Jack, but is Kiri a head knock away from retirement? Is it that bad? 
But I tell you what you're missing. You are missing the professionalism of, of the Morris boys. You really are. Momorowski doesn't seem to have replicated the form that he showed last year for the Panthers. But they're a good side, Roosters. I wouldn't worry too much about them. And I say that too because the Dragons, and I'm a Dragons fan, as you know, thought they were good. They were stout. They showed a lot of grit. They showed a lot of heart. It was very pleasing if you're a St. George Lawara fan. Curios chocolate on sale now. Would people buy it, Michael from Jermoyne? Curios chocolate. Is there a joke in there I don't understand, Michael? I'd buy it. I'd be curious. Not curious, but curious about curious. 0457. Thank you, Michael. I hope your evening finds you well. 0457 736 736. That is the text line number. Now, just some Wimbledon news. Novak Djokovic, by the way, he can defend his Wimbledon title. He can defend it. So organisers said that players who are not vaccinated against COVID-19 will be allowed to compete. So he's had a staring contest and he's won as Novak, the world number one. He's 34. He's been a bit rusty in his comeback trail. He's on the clay courts at the moment. And we know that whole saga at the start of the year. Novak wasn't allowed to play at the Aussie Open in January following that row that centred around him being unvaccinated. And he came and they sent him home. The requirement set out by the government to enter the UK does not include mandatory vaccination. Those are the words spoken by the All England Lawn Tennis Club Chief Executive Sally Bolton. Therefore, while it is, of course, encouraged, it's not a condition of entry. So now Wimbledon gets underway 27th of June, goes through to the 10th of July. So after this whole high-profile saga around the Australian Open, which ended with Novak being defrauded because of his COVID status, he's missed out on a number of other tournaments, Indian Wells, Miami, two examples because of coronavirus virus rules for entry into the United States. And because he hadn't played, he couldn't defend points and he lost the world number one ranking to Daniil Medvedev, the Russian. He's since got it back, by the way. Now that a number of countries are relaxing their entry requirements regarding vaccination. And he reached his first final of the year last week and he lost to the Russian Andrei Rublev. This was in the Serbia Open in Belgrade. 20 Grand Slam titles for Novak. Told the BBC in February that he'd rather miss out on future tennis trophies than be forced to get a COVID vaccine. That's fine. Look, you know, if you want to stick to your principles, I can't knock that. And I think he should be vaccinated. And this is a thing that bugs the hell out of me from people like Djokovic and people like Kelly Slater. And, and I love Kelly Slater as a surfer. He's the greatest ever. But, you know, for him to come out, somebody of that public profile to come out and say, I know more than 99% of doctors. You know, this is the thing. Just because somebody like a Novak or somebody like Kelly Slater may get COVID, have a little sniffle for a couple of days and get past it, that, that's fine. But that doesn't mean that that's the standard for everybody on the planet. But yet that's what somebody like a Kelly Slater is selling. You know, natural immunity, all this kind of stuff that they spout, anti-vaxxers. Just because you got through COVID okay and you didn't get vaccinated doesn't mean that all of a sudden we bend public health policy on the back of your individual experience. That's the issue I have. So if i got to get it, if Malchie's got to get it, if our friends and family have to get it, because we know that vaccinations save lives, because one or two choose not to, doesn't mean that we sure all shouldn't. So you can understand the frustration from fans go, well, hang on, we suffered, we got the vaccination, we followed the health advice, and you're just coasting in on our coattails. 
See, this is the problem that they have. Is It's why the public are against these sorts of players and the stance they take. Because nobody likes living by two sets of rules. 0457 736 736. And, of course, the big hoo-ha around Wimbledon is this banning of Russian and Belarusian players. And it's been a really hot topic of debate, a really hot topic of debate. For what it's worth, it's outrageous, hypocritical. They're worried about a Russian raising the trophy and what Putin might do to somehow legitimise Russian superiority on the global stage. And I think all of that's overblown and overstated anyway. Somebody made the point, well, why, why now? Did, do you ban, did they ban Jimmy Connors? Did they ban John McEnroe or Stan Smith when the US government was waging war in Vietnam? Or did they ban Sampras or Agassi when they were waging war in Iraq or Afghanistan? You know, wh- why is it different now? So, yes, you're born in the country, but you're still ultimately playing as a private individual. So it's a bit rich to then hold somebody like a Rublev or a Medvedev or a Pavlachenkova responsible for the actions of a madman and Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine. They're not responsible for that. So, okay, let them play. They may not be playing next to the Russian flag, but to oust them from the tournament simply because they were born in Russia, despite their political beliefs, and there's nothing to say they're supporting what Putin's done. It's, it's outrageous. It is outrageous. Some people say, oh, it's a principal stand against the intrusion of politics in the sport. You can't separate the two. But the thing about it is, was it Rublev who partnered with the Ukrainian? And Medvedev goes, this is great to see. We're all for peace. Pavlachenkov has been open about her disdain for war. And then you have examples of, it was the Belarusian, her name escapes me, an Olympian, who was a very outspoken and vocal critic of leader of her country the dictatorial nature of it. But because she's born in Belarus, even though we know she's against the policies of her government, would still be banned. So I'm not sure a blanket approach applies here. A blanket, blanket approach applies here. And the thing is that Wimbledon's a private club, so they're allowed to make these rules. Ultimately, otherwise, it'll be a case of, a black and white case of discrimination. But where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? Do you, do you not serve vodka at the bars in London? You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's at this absolutely absurd level. It's posturing is what it is. It's posturing. You may have a thought on that. 0457 736 736. That is the text line number. Now, just back to Cameron Munster for a moment. We're chatting about him the last hour of the program. Should he go to the Dolphins? doesn't necessarily have to go. He wants to go. Best luck to him, but it certainly shouldn't go for the sake of going. Well, Wayne Bennett apparently has ruffled the feathers of those at the Melbourne Storm. They are reportedly furious over his pursuit of Cameron Munster, but they have lodged a formal complaint over the matter. So, so Munster comes off contract at the end of 2023. He's in talks with the Dolphins for a potential move in 2024. Storm, though, they are seeing red. This is according to News Corp. After a report surfaced claiming Bennett and the Dolphins were prepared to buy out Munster's $1.2 million contract for 2023 to get him in time for their inaugural season. 
And Bennett did say the Dolphins were keen to have Cameron at Redcliffe, whether it's 2023 or 2024. Nothing wrong with that, though. Nothing wrong with that. The News Corp say, well, the Storm feel that Bennett's comments were borderline arrogant. I've sent a complaint to the Dolphins saying, Cameron Munster, he's not available for release in 2023. Zero chance. And Dean Ritchie on NRL Tonight had said, oh, it's been a bit of argy-bargy between the Storm and the Dolphins over Munster for next season. But Melbourne have issued Bennett a stern warning. A stern warning. So they're pretty cranky. He's hot property. I mean, this is just... Seriously, we're doing this? Is it okay for Melbourne to clandestinely speak to players from other clubs or to try and woo them? I mean, this stuff's been going on since rugby league started. Naturally, you're in the market for the best players available. And there's nothing wrong with saying, oh, I'm interested in this person. Oh, if they were to come on the market, yeah, absolutely, we'd look at this person. And who knows what the player agents are doing in the background. But a formal complaint, really? Really? If you don't want to let him go, that's fine. But can you blame Bennett for making overtures for the services of somebody as good as Cameron Munster when they're trying to land that big fish, that marquee player, which they haven't landed yet? But I think they're upset because already you've got the Bromwich boys have got Kafusi as well. So there's three Melbourne Storm players who are going to be at Moreton Bay for 2023. They missed out on Ponga. They missed out on Reid Marnie. I don't know what Reese Walsh is going to do, but they need that big fish. They need that big fish. Here's what it is. Wayne Bennett. Actually, Wayne Bennett had this to say about the whole Cameron Munster saga. Well, a lot of that's speculation, but we're, we're keen to have Cameron at Redcliffe, whether it's 23 or 24, um, and working now with, the, with his uh, management and um, before they... You confident? Oh, I'm not overly confident, but I'm not... I'm not underconfident either. I just it's a bit of a there's a fair bit to be done yet. Um, but what we feel that we're heading in the right direction with regards to our, our end of the bargain, and hopefully Cameron will want to come. Are you a bit nervous? I mean, we're six months away from the the 2023 season starting, and you get to get your full roster. Are you worried you're not going to get the players you want? No, I'm confident we'll, we'll get there in the end. Wade's confident we'll get there, and he's always got something up his sleeve, Wade. He's always got something up his sleeve. Six minutes after 11 Eastern Standard Time on SEN 11.70 Sydney, 16.20 on the Gold Coast. I just realised I've been gibbering away and we haven't done any, any news because we don't do news, so let's take a break. Had some really fascinating interviews on the station today. Webby's always good. He's uh, got all the mail and the latest and greatest in the news of rugby league. Well, we'll hear what he had to say to Matty White this morning going through all the big issues. And Kalen Ponga, and everybody's got an opinion on Kalen Ponga. He's a very divisive figure, isn't he? People love him or people say he's overrated. Maybe the Knights should cut their losses with Caelan. Well, he caught up with Badge and Sat, so we'll play that for you uh, later on in this hour as well. 0457 736 736. Now, a, a cracking game of football in the Champions League semi-finals. This is the first of two legs between Man City and Real Madrid. And then tomorrow morning, 5 a.m. Eastern time, Villarreal up against Liverpool. So Man City and Liverpool, gee, they've got a busy schedule to close out the Premier League season. They're vying to finish top spot there. And, of course, they want to lift up the Champions League trophy as well. Now, Mulchie's a bit of a football expert, so I thought I'd drag him in again. Four free in a stunning game and a high-class game of football. But I'll tell you what, if if they converted their chances, it might have been even more. Well, I got up to make myself a cup of coffee just before the start of this one. And by the time I sat down, it was 1-0. Oh, I, Kevin De Bruyne. I was sitting yeah. down <laughs> as Kevin De Bruyne put the first goal in. And it just looked like one of those games City was going to get into their sort of cruising 
fourth, fifth gear, and they weren't going to have to move. And Real Madrid have this habit in the Champions League of dragging teams into basically fights that they don't want to be drawn into. And City were drawn very much into that battle. Their quality shone through in the end to, to get the result. But that was a game they should have been out of sight in the first half hour. Karen Benzema gets a goal just after the half hour mark and suddenly the game just turned into a madhouse. And that's exactly what Pep Guardiola doesn't want. And now City have to go to Madrid and cling on to this one goal lead. They mm. should still go through the final, but they've they've got a bit of a history and Pep particularly has a history over the last decade of finding ways to lose at this stage of the Champions League. To so. be fair, he has beaten Real Madrid a number of times before though, Pep. Not at beat. This, yeah, he didn't have Barcelona. Stage, well, yeah, at this stage, the last time he beat Real Madrid at this stage of a competition was with a, one of the great Barcelona teams of all time. They won a fantastic El Clasico over two legs mm. and then went on to beat Manchester United in a, in a final at Wembley. I remember so that final. It, it has been why did a you have while. to bring it up? Because I'm a United fan. It has been a while. And then they had that lovely little one-two with the goal for Rooney's before halftime with the yeah. Rooney's. And then it was just, it was men versus boys. You couldn't get the ball off them. It was just the most astonishing display of football I've seen at a club level ever. Ever. I would agree with you. Yeah. It's as close to footballing perfection. A lot of experts reckon, and I reckon, watching mm. it as a youngster, it, it framed a lot of my views on how football should be played that game. It was yeah. just absolutely wonderful. And they're all at their peak, weren't they? Messi and Iniesta well, so yeah, Xavi and, Xavi Iniesta, and yeah. Busquets, the unsung hero at the heart of defence, Carlos Puyol and Gerard Piquet, and Les Murray Victor Valquez. Yeah. It was just a wonderful football team. Now, if a Liverpool fan, who do you go for, by the way? I'm a Sheffield United fan. Okay, next Julian. question. So Villarreal and Liverpool. Uh, this is the uh, leg Two of two, is that right? Leg one of two. Leg one of two. I was about to say, that can't be right, but it says leg two of two in front of me. Yeah, that uh, that game tomorrow morning at the home of the Spanish side, 5 a.m. Who do you like? You were looking at the second leg because it's at Anfield tomorrow morning. So, first leg at Anfield. You've scrolled too far down this page, I have. It's right. Yeah, my fault. So, let's try. Yeah, Anfield. Liverpool. (laughs) Yes, go. Um, Villarreal, the team of misfits. They've got players from all over Europe who have been cast aside and they've picked up a value. They've gone, I hate to use the term, but it is fitting here, the Moneyball version of the Champions League this season. Mm. They've picked up all these these outcasts. They were dominant in their two legs against Bayern Munich, one of the, the richest clubs in Europe who were very much expected to be playing in this tie. It'll be very interesting to see what Liverpool do against them because Villarreal play a very similar style. They're going to be physical. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to try and... Pr- press Jurgen Klopp's team, which not many teams try and do, and it'll be very interesting. I think it could go one of two ways. It's going to be a real arm wrestle that ends up in a, a one or two nil to Liverpool, or we're going to get an absolute, the house burns down for Villarreal and they lose five or six yeah, because okay. they, they play this no holds bar game. They're, they're generally quite clever in the way they go about it, but if Liverpool find a way to pick them apart, it, it could get ugly. Give me a, a, a prediction. I think it'll be the I think it'll be the prior. Okay. I think Villarreal are, are savvy enough to just adjust their style enough. I think Liverpool win at one nil. One nil to Liverpool. So you get that game tomorrow at five a.m. Of course, that's at Anfield. Fast running out of time here for a Wednesday night. Bondi Jack, uh, always nice to hear from you. Uh, you said, J.K., you made several points. I was already a hundred percent with this is. Jack, referring to your earlier text about you thought Tupo had a poor game, uh, along with Joey Toops was our best player for six rounds. 
Yeah, it's a bigger dig than anyone, but our girls' team would have showed far more Anzac spirit than these clowns. St George had passion in droves, and I know better than many that Robbo is a slow burn for 25 weeks, but him and his team are way off the pace and now face all of the top six twice. Dummy half is a nightmare since Jake went down. Cheers, Bondi Jack. Dummy half is a concern. You know, the thing about Sam Verrills, he's you know, on the comeback trail from injury. He tackled his heart out. He's only going to get better, Sammy Verrills. The slow burn, you, you want to peak at the end rather than peak at the start. They look clunky, but to their credit, and I know you went down on Monday and you know, you had every chance to win that game. If you play it again, you probably do win Bondi Jack. But the sign of a good team is that you can be below your best and still find ways to win. If I'm a Roosters fan, I'm a little concerned, but... Look, I'd rather be in your position than the Dragon position because you're a much better chance of making the eight. I'll leave it at that, Bondi Jack. While we're talking about uh, rugby league, let's have a look ahead to all the action for the weekend of football right here on SEN. Now, Thursday, this is going to be a huge game between the Broncos and the Sharks. People are saying it's a state of origin audition between CSC for Talakai and Katoni Staggs. I mean, that alone is worth the price of admission just to see those two fine centers running around. Thursday, that's 6 p.m. from Suncorp. Potsy's got that call the Queenslanders, Mark Braybrook, along with Badge and Sats. On Friday, we've got the Titans and the Panthers at Seabus Stadium. That's from 5 p.m. coverage. Saturday coverage starts from 2 p.m. The Warriors and the Raiders. That game at Redcliffe, by the way. Matty White got the call there with Noddy Kamali and Sean Timmons. Now on Sunday, coverage starts from 3.30 p.m. I'll be on air before that with crunch time. Uh, filling in for Jaleesa. Looking forward to that. Dragons and the Tigers win Stadium Wollongong. Jimmy Smith with Badge Belcher and Seabs, Anthony Seabold. This is going to be a good game. Now, you heard Mulchy say the last hour, he reckons the Tigers are a better chance of making the eight than the Dragons. Now, I don't know what he's been drinking, but perhaps he shouldn't drive home. I'm impressed he can still panel this show. Impressed I still let him panel the show after that outrageous comment that he made. Going to be a good game of footy. Been impressed with the Tigers. Jackson Hastings been outstanding the past couple of weeks, but the Dragons... Showed a lot of ticker in that win on Anzac Day Monday over the Sydney Roosters. So Jimmy, Badge and Seeds with that game. 3.30pm, the coverage starts, Dragons and Tigers. And the other games coming up this weekend, Friday, 7.55pm, the Bunnies and the Seagulls. This is going to be a tough one to pick. That game, by the way, at Central Coast Stadium. Central Coast Stadium. South Howell, they bounce back after that shock loss to the Tigers and the Eagles. Well, you could say the Sharks shut up shop. And they did put on some points in the second half, but they're still without Tom Trebojevic, Manly. So that's um, that's a tough game. A tough game. Could be the game of the round. Bulldogs and the Roosters. I think the Roosters will bounce back. That game at Core Stadium, that, of course, the Olympic Stadium. Saturday, 5.30, the 7.35 game. That from TIO Stadium in Darwin. My old part of the world. Beautiful part of the world, Darwin. Eels and the Cowboys. That should be a beauty as well. Then Sunday, 2 p.m. to wrap it up, we've got the Knights and the Storm. I need to show some more tick of the nights. McDonald Jones Stadium from two. That is us done and dusted for a Wednesday night. Thank you, everybody, for your company. Short and sharp, just the way I like it. Thanks to Mulchie. Thanks to Simon McLaughlin and to everybody that texted in on the program this evening. Back to do it all again on Friday night right here on SEN. I'm Julian King. I'll catch you then. Have a great night.